Sheltering in place during the novel coronavirus pandemic has been tough on everyone. And for sports fans, it's been even tougher without their team to cheer for. Fans of some sports had seasons put on hold with no sign of restarting, and other sports weren't even sure if they would be able to start a season. But now North American leagues are confident enough to be able to get back to playing their games in the middle of a growing pandemic. I'm Adam Toy. And I'm Dave McIver. And this is why. That's the sound of Utah Jazz center Rudy Gobert getting up and touching all of the microphones assembled by media on March 9th, mocking the risk of spreading the novel coronavirus. And days later, he tested positive for COVID-19. The game tonight has been postponed. You are all safe. And take your time in leaving the arena tonight and do so in an orderly fashion. Thank you for coming out tonight. We are all Nearly four months later, Gobert still hasn't completely recovered from getting the novel coronavirus in March, telling French newspaper L'Equipe that he still doesn't have his sense of smell back. But pro leagues around North America apparently feel the coronavirus pandemic is under enough control and they want to get play going again. Major League Soccer is eyeing a July 8th return to the pitch. The NHL is starting up training camps on July 10th, aiming for modified playoffs to finish their season. Major League Baseball hopes to start their season on July 23rd. The NWSL is already back playing, and the WNBA have July 24th circled on the calendar. The NFL is planning for a shortened preseason, but a regular season kickoff in early September. And the NBA looks to restart the season that was abruptly put on hold after Gobert was the first player reported to have tested positive for COVID-19 back in March, with tip-off at the end of July. But with the United States putting up record numbers of new cases of the novel coronavirus, is it still too soon to return to play? Eileen McManaman is the founder and managing partner at 5T Sports Group. Welcome, Eileen. Thanks for having me, Adam. July seems to be the month in which sports leagues, pro sports leagues, are, are seeking to open up. A lot of pro sports leagues are seeking to open up during this coronavirus pandemic. I'm just wondering what you've seen from a variety of these these pro sports leagues in terms of their reopening plans, um, and what are the challenges that, that leagues are having to face at this time right now? Well, I think a lot of the plans, obviously, that were made to open up in, you know, this week, next week, the coming weeks, uh, were made several weeks ago. And I think as we've all seen just in this last week, um, this is a moving target, and um, and we've uh, at least in the United States, has taken a, a turn very much for the worse. So um, I, I think, you know, it's a, in a very much sports parlance, it's a read and react situation. Uh, there's only so many uh, variables you can triangulate for to uh, to plan. And uh, as, as a number of those move, it, it's going to change your plans. And we're seeing, obviously, a lot of positive tests come out among players. And we're also seeing uh, players in various leagues um, declined to participate. Yeah, and that's even before you introduce uh, fans into various venues to to view some of these, if that even goes ahead. That's correct. <laughs> I think the focus has been on when is it safe for fans to return, but 
I think it's important for us to see that our athletes, even though they seem like superheroes to us, are actually human beings, and we don't want to see them at risk either, and that's a very real conversation. The NBA is planning to play out the rest of their season in a campus in Florida, and as of this recording, the NHL is reportedly close to announcing Toronto and Edmonton as their bubble cities for the playoffs this season. What kind of damage can be done to a league if it's financial or its reputation, if there is an outbreak within these bubbles that these leagues are trying to create, or if the college football prediction you shared earlier comes true and there are deaths of players, what does that do to the business of sports if either of those scenarios play out? Well, you know, it's very interesting uh, times to ask that question because one of the things that we're seeing across the board um, is how fans, who are also consumers and citizens, are responding to how brands and have handled themselves during this crisis and more recently how brands are handling themselves during you know, our current reckoning <laughs> with racial injustice. There's very, very much a shift um, on people's part to to um, expect better from from companies, and that includes sports <laughs> organizations, um, and to also you know punish them when they're when they make poor decisions. So I, I think that reputational risk is there. Um, and the other thing that we we know is attendance has been declining right across the board in all sports for the last number of years due to the comfort of watching from home. So, um, yeah, that reputational risk, you know, it, it, can, it can truly impact, impact revenues on a number of fronts, right? Uh, the attendance revenue, but also that, that feeling of, um, I don't know, affinity or loyalty or, um, you know, pride in, in, in an organization. Um, I think some organizations will fare very well. Uh, certain owners have been very definitive and, and uh, very supportive and very generous over the last little, little while. Um, in terms of the social issues, have been again very definitive. Um, you know what NASCAR did. I can tell you that NASCAR has certainly gained in reputation um, through that decisive action. Um, but I think there's just very little room for wavering anymore. Um, and I do believe people sense that there's enough knowledge out there at least to um, make the better, safer decision. And I think as a, as a whole, we are appreciating that caution is the better part of valor in this case. As we mentioned earlier, as of this recording, it looks like the NHL is coming to Toronto and Edmonton to finish up this season. Let's head to Alberta's capital now for another perspective. Dan Mason is a professor of sport management at the University of Alberta and joins us. Thanks so much for your time, Dan. Uh, thank you for having me on. Dan, we wanted to get you on to talk about uh, how various leagues are reopening or trying to get uh, either finish seasons or start seasons during this coronavirus pandemic. And of course, very recently, uh, news came out that the NHL is uh, zeroing in on uh, Edmonton and where you are and Toronto as uh, being hub cities for them to play the playoffs. Uh, and all. Uh, just wondering, uh, just from a, a local perspective, what your thoughts are uh, of the NHL uh, coming to your city to finish off the season? Well, from a hockey fan's perspective, I think it's just important that the games get played, so I think that it doesn't really matter where the games are played. But I think from an Edmontonian's perspective, it's a feather in their cap to be considered one of the hosts or hub cities. And, and I think historically Edmonton has 
always been very aware of where it fits in a, in a hierarchy of cities, and, and so I think this is something that would be more important for a city like Edmonton than it would be for a city like Toronto. Since we're talking about the NHL, what are your thoughts of, of, of how the league is trying to manage the risk associated with the, the novel coronavirus and the perceived need to finish the season? Yeah, I think, I think that it's always in the interest of leagues to do their playoffs and finish their playoffs because of the continuity of awarding champions. But also, um, leagues like the NBA and the NHL don't pay regular salaries to athletes during the playoffs. And so this is an opportunity for some teams to make the playoffs to make more money. And so I think from the NHL's perspective, uh, they're very interested in, in appeasing their uh, media providers and having content to be able to show. So I think that there's a strong incentive to finish the existing season award a championship rather than start a new season a little bit earlier. Do you think leagues like the NHL and NBA are doing a good job at evaluating the risks to player health with the novel coronavirus? Well, I think all the players are competitive, and so if there's an opportunity to compete for a championship, certainly there's an incentive there, but I think also it depends on the nature of how their lives exist outside of the actual competition itself. And so the more that they're sequestered, the, more, the safer it will be for the athletes. But at the same time, you don't want to leave your families for months, potentially, um, to go and compete. And so I think that it's really going to be difficult to try and balance those things. And so how much are the players going to be able to go out and spend time in the communities? And are their families going to be coming? or can they, Are they going to be around? How much interaction are they going to have with people within the communities that are serving as uh, hub cities? And so I think all those things are really going to ultimately determine how safe this is for the players themselves. So you can control what they're doing when they're getting ready for practice and when they're getting uh, in games in the dressing room, and you can test them. But you can't, if you can't control what they're doing outside of that time, then it kind of really renders that mood because uh, they could be going in and you could have outbreaks occurring um, because of exposure to any kind of other uh, social situation. Was there ever a question of if... Uh, leagues would reopen during the pandemic, or, or do you think it was always a question of when? Um, I think it's still if. I think that uh, certainly what we're seeing in the, in the U.S. with uh, with the increases in the number of cases and, and that sort of thing, there could be things that happen in Edmonton or Toronto between now and when they officially want to get the games going. And so um, if, if all of a sudden you see a massive outbreak or things change, that could jeopardize um, plans for the NHL and, and other leagues as well. So I think that it's it's always going to be an if given the circumstances of, of COVID. Eileen, I'm wondering if your group is working with any clients in regards to kind of the reopening during this pandemic and, and what you're telling them. We're, we're talking with a few folks. Obviously, lots of conversations are confidential these days. But one of the things that we, we did was collaborate with several other colleagues um, to put out a series of of uh, opinion pieces sort of based on research that's coming out, realities that we're seeing in directives to say, look, the temptation when you when you come back is to just try to set everything back to normal. Um, but there is no going back. But here are the opportunities that lie out ahead of you. And in conjunction with doing those research pieces, we held dialogue sessions, which we kept under what we called the cone of silence. Because there's a, as you can imagine, in every front office, um, there is a great deal of uncertainty, of turmoil, of, you know, they're not even planning for, you know, scenario A versus scenario B. <laughs> there's a whole spectrum of scenarios that they're trying to sort through. So there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, uncertainty. And then, of course, those folks in the front office in some cases 
have their own uncertainty about their their role in the organization or their their job and their livelihood. Um, so yes, there there are a lot of conversations going on, um, and I think one of the things is that folks are quite humbled and looking for whatever um, data points or information or anything that can inform their decision. Eileen, are there any parallels or any historical examples that pro leagues are able to draw upon for the times we're in right now, or are these just truly unprecedented times for professional sports? Yeah, you know, I I feel that they are truly unprecedented times. Um, You know, with, obviously, you and I are not old enough to remember the Spanish influenza. Um, But, you know, at that point, of course, the dollars on the table in pro sports were not what they are now. It wasn't a major mega global industry, and and it was, you know, really a little bit of an of a highly evolved, um, you know, recreational <laughs> intramural league back then, and um, and you also had bigger issues when, uh, with with wars interrupting sports. There was no, um, again, discretion in those in that decision making. You know, you, no, this is the priority. Here, what we have is is you know obviously a very uncoordinated and uneven ripple of um, things rolling through. North America, maybe east to west, if you want to call it that, um, and then you you have a lot of discretion in how people are tackling it, taking it seriously, not taking it so seriously. So I think these are unprecedented times. And then, of course, you have um, the entire pandemic issue, but then now compounded by a lot of racial unrest. Not racial unrest, but let's call it social uh, awakening and awareness and action. Um, and so you kind of have a rolling uh, crisis that, that folks are trying to deal with and grapple with. So I do feel that it is unprecedented, um, certainly, you know, in the modern sports era post-World War II, um, but even in, in the last century and a quarter. So, Dan, how do you see the coronavirus changing sports? I think that um, we're, we've already seen a transition from consumption of professional sport um, content from being an in-person sport to a media uh, mediated uh, version of that same sport. And so I think that um, the NHL is behind the other leagues in the sense that it doesn't derive the same amount of media revenues as a percentage of overall revenues as the NBA does or the NFL does. So I think that it, we've already seen that transition where people are, are happy to, to down, download or stream content related to, to their respective uh, favorite sports. And so I think we're going to see an increased push in that and maybe – um, the search for new ways in which fans can consume games, knowing that they're not going to be able to rely on gate revenues to the same degree that they have. Um, it also could potentially change the way that, that facilities are designed or um, how they're allowing player, uh, fans to come in, who gets to come in, uh, that sort of thing. But it would certainly change the environment that the games are played in if you don't have the same number of people there or they can't be clustered in a way where you get that sort of roar of the crowd and, and that kind of thing. So it's going to change things certainly, but I, we don't know how, how this is going to proceed in the future, and we don't know how soon there's going to be a, a vaccine, and we don't know what other, you know, other things uh, we could be exposed to down the road with regards to other viruses and that sort of thing. So, but it's certainly going to change the way that leaks think about their bottom line and how they derive their revenues, and it's going to put more focus on media, certainly. Eileen, what do you think pro sports would look like in a post-COVID world? How do you think the fan experience will change? Boy, that's a great question. One, I think you're going to see um, some things that, frankly, we should have just seen for a better experience anyway, obviously, on um, things like um, 
contactless payment, you know, which we we see a lot of in Canada. But you know, I'm I'm actually from the U.S. When I go back down home, I, it's you know that's almost nowhere. But I think it's it's going to be pretty much everywhere now. Um, so you know, a little bit more of that that um, facilitation of the experience to where it's seamless, where you can do a lot of things with your phone now. MLB has adopted, um, you know, tickets, digital tickets. You're seeing a lot more of that. Um, so you're just tapping. And that that can help in a way because your phone is a unique identifier. So then the team knows, if I walked in with a paper ticket that somebody handed me, you have no idea who's sitting in, you know, Section 142, Row 5, Seat 2, you know. Uh, but but if I've come in with my phone, then you have my number. And you can reach out and say, oh, is this, you know, the first time you're with us this season? So it gives teams an opportunity to to connect on a better level. And they do have a lot of uh, investment in data analytics now to do a better job of making that experience more personal personal and more enjoyable for the fans, but also more convenient. Um, you know, a good friend was talking about how to how to manage service in in areas so you don't have people getting up and down as much, um, which can be a risk, um, by, by, you know, doing more in-seat delivery, more surprise and delight kind of delivery, um, uh, you know, uh, more attendance, you know, coming around to, to see how you're doing. So I think it will help in a way get us away from, you know, ushers used to be very friendly and some are obviously still very wonderful, friendly people. But over the last little while, I go to a lot of stadiums. I'm sure you do too, as <laughs> a sports guy. You know, they've just become more, you know, security guard gatekeepers in a sense. Let me see your ticket. Where is your seat? Where are you going? Um, I think we're going to get away from that, and I think that empowers those employees as well um, to create a more collegial, um, hospitable atmosphere of, you know, greeting fans, you know, trying to make sure they're they're taken care of so they don't need to jump up and down or, um, or they only do as they as they uh, would like, but are being more serviced, which will also, I think, help combat or at least um, mitigate that attendance decline. Part of the reason we stay home is because it's comfortable <laughs> and it's convenient, and you know that that beer is maybe six feet away. It's not you know a whole staircase and <laughs> a lineup and all of that. Could sports play a greater role in society other than just being something to watch? I think typically sports feels that that need to come in and, and sort of uh, you know be that be that guiding light that takes us through the tragedy as they you know they did after 9/11. But this is this is different. Um, so I think um, and and we have to be mindful of, of um, grassroots sports as well um, because there's not always. Um, the most solid decision-making going on there in terms of what's best for the players, unfortunately. Um, and so I think it's very important for pro sports to be mindful of that um, impact or effect uh, influence that they may have down the chain, um, especially in things like AAU or travel teams, where they think, oh, well, if the majors are playing, then we need to keep our players going. Um, so. Yeah, I think, I think there's a few, a few sober thoughts in there. Um, and on our space, we work in sustainability primarily, so environmental social issues around sport. Um, and, you know, our personal opinion on a very, and on a positive note, is this is a very good time to double down in those areas because um, those are the things that, that most folks are very concerned about. We're all hurting a little bit in the heart and the soul and in the wallet. <laughs> and so, um, 
you know, we're going to be looking to those teams who who are doing the right thing, um, and and being less rewarding of those who who are are thinking only with their with their finances first. This is why is produced by me, Dave McIver, and Adam Toy. It's a national radio show and a podcast. You can reach us by email, this is why at globalnews.ca and on Twitter at this is why. If you like what you hear and want to hear more, make sure you subscribe to This Is Why so you never miss an episode. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing, tell a friend. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay happy, and we'll see you soon.